toujours vif comme au premier jour de cours autour à cours les mecs de maths claquent pas Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. Two Enthusiasts Podcast. A podcast still without a tagline. <laughs> yeah, that, good. <laughs> that works in a pinch when you yeah, can't sure. do any work ahead of time. Yeah. Quentin, we got a really, I think we got a busy show today. Okay. Because a lot's happened in the last week or so. Yep. And then a lot's happening in the next week or so. Sure. Let's brap to it. Get right down to the brabitude. Mm. Not before you talk about what the people should do. Oh, you're right. You're right. And I even have that in my show notes. And I just glossed right over it. So yep. it's good that you're on the show. You've redeemed yourself yep. as See, being the co-host. Quality. I put the Q in quality. I mean, you're going to ruin it in like five minutes when we get into some stupid pun. But yep. until then, thumbs up to you, sir. <laughs> so yeah, fans should definitely be following us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram now. Uh, you finally got a real phone so we can we can yeah, get down to the Instagram. Figure out how to make it work. We're going to figure that out after the show. Okay. And then we also, of course, want you to leave us a rating on iTunes if you happen to listen to the show through iTunes. Uh, we haven't had a, a comment or a rating lady on, for the show on iTunes recently. So yeah, if you do listen to the show through iTunes, leave us a review, leave us a comment, leave us a rating, give us a high five. We greatly appreciate it. It helps us with Apple's crazy, crazy, crazy system. And if you listen to us on SoundCloud, leave a comment. Because that's kind of a cool, I like that platform a lot. You can leave little comments like at the timestamp of, of when you agree or disagree or want to say something of the show. So like an hour into the show, you can be like, Jensen's an idiot. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, right there. I was being an idiot one hour into the show. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I, feedback is appreciated. I don't think a lot of people get it. No, we, we definitely thrive on constructive feedback. Sure. We are those kind of people. It's, like, it's it. the engineering like feedback loop thing. Absolutely. Got to have a feedback loop. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I, I think a lot of people are scared of it, but those are weak people. <laughs> wow. Just throwing that right out there, huh? That's no, true. Okay. If you can't take criticism. All right. Sorry. All right. Uh, we got a lot of newsy items. I want to get through them really quick. I want to talk about Indian's little flat track bike, the Husqvarna FS450 Supermoto, Sunshine Coast TT, Ducati for sale or not. And then I want to talk to you about the vertical scope nonsense and then wrap up the show. Okay. So that's a lot of topics to, to blow through. Sure. Uh, do you see the Indian uh, is going to yeah. go flat track racing? I just saw the the engine, you know, the pictures of the engine, which is all they released, right? Right. And I saw a quick blurb that something was really neat about it was that the cylinder heads, it's a V-twin. It's a narrow degree V-twin, just like all of these. Well, not all of them, but uh, <clears throat> any V-twin that's successful in flat track racing, the Harley and the Honda has been a, a narrow V-twin. And the heads are the same, which is cool that you could swap the head from one side to the other. Um, that's a that's a unique thing to be able to do. And it, you know, gets the parts count down. If you blow uh, up a motor and you, you know, wreck the valve train and you have to get a new head, you, you can have spares and you don't have to have different types of spares. You can have just that one part number, which is really neat. Anyway, that the stuff like that, I don't know. It, 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 for me, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but engineering like that, thinking ahead, um, it, for me, it, it, I think is a good yeah, Thinking ahead. Oh, wow. That was hey, good. Hey, hey, yeah, right? This lemonade's working out for it me. It is. That is. It's pulpy and you're punny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, thinking ahead. <laughs> I love it. Murdedly-erdler. Awesome. <laughs> you murdedly-erdlered that that. <laughs> okay, so that's cool. And then um, showing that actually the motor that they showed pictures of has a bunch of uh, 
uh, not cast parts. They're machined, like the valve covers are like machined. So that, I mean, that's heavy duty stuff. That's, Hey, we're going to make this thing before we even cast parts out of it. And we're not yeah. going to, it's not production ready or they just want it to look sweet. Uh, you know what I mean? It, it could be that, but I don't think so. I think they're actually sorting out some of the end stuff and have to machine valve cover gaskets instead of just assume it's going to be one shape because they're still figuring out cams and they, they want it to be tight and right. So that's neat. I like it. Yeah, I, my biggest takeaway from it, looking at that motor, it's really compact. It looks sure. like a nice sure. little, nice little well thought out unit. And between that and what you were saying with the parts uh, interchangeability, they have Jared Mees racing on it, or I should say developing. I don't think they've actually signed the contract to race, but that seems like that's just uh, a, a season away from happening. I think we can call Jared Mees a haul asser. Yeah, uh, and then just looking at like just the craftsmanship on the motor and how they're building it, like. What I take away is that Indian is serious about it going flat track racing. It, it, for me, it's of note relative to the thing that they've got going up Pikes Peak, which is for it's like the antithesis of that. It's a motor that they kind of hacked together last year in a short amount of time, and it looks awful. I, I hate to say it. I, 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 I'll full respect to what they're doing, and I want to be supportive of it, but the the motor looked heavy and big and ungainly and. Uh, it's horrible. Well, that Whereas whole project is too is like, it's very, what's the word I want to use? Freestyle. Freestyle is a very good word for, for the connotation. Cause I was going to say half-assed and it's not half-assed. It's not. No, it's not half-assed. They at just all. said, they just had a spark of energy of awesome. And I love it. And I just, that's why I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying, fuck those guys for doing it. I'm just saying, no, no, no. well, they're giving it a go, but boy, what they're, hopefully not, what they're, it's not factory is what you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't have that factory like it. polish. No. It's like that. Like, Hey, I got an idea of what I'm doing and I'm pretty good at building stuff. And here's my, here's my like thrown together plan and it's it looks like roland sands built it because he did and yeah. uh, that's amazing that he was able to do it in yeah. that timeline and make it work and they're they're working on it now i don't think it's going too fast up the hill this year oh uh, the races today i haven't seen results and then have i i've yeah so that pike's peak is completely dead to me oh that's too bad it is too bad it is too bad and and it's it, i was talking to carlin dunn and this is actually something i wanted to talk about later in the show but he and i were talking a little about it, and i like what Ducati's doing with the uh, Squadra, Squadra Alpina. Alpina, yeah. And so it's basically, it's Carlin Dunn, Greg Mickey, Tracy, Gary Trachey, and Mickey, Mickey Diamond. Mickey Diamond, yeah. So four very fast haulassers who have, I'm trying to think if they all won a race at Pikes Peak. I think they have. I don't think Diamond. I don't know about my, yeah, I don't know about Mickey. I don't know if he's has a class win or not. But Whatever, still, they're all very quick. Very quick. And they're all on multi-stratas and they're kind of, they were, during practice, they were shadowing the the racers. Well, that's the thing. They're they're acting like mentors. They're not there to the race. They're there to help the racers who have never been to Pikes Peak before, or that are kind of green to Pikes Peak, to to help them elevate their pace up the mountain in a safe and kind of reg- not regulated, but kind of like there's a feedback loop there. Where like, yeah, Carlin's gonna follow, you know, a new guy up the course and be like, hey, I noticed you're really pushing into engineers way too hot. You know, the better lines actually to come in slow, leave fast. You know, that's the best way to get through here. And by the way, it's safer or, you know, be careful on the mountain section. There's a lot of ripples going into, you know, this Devil's turn or that turn. Or Devil, whatever. Yeah, right. Sure. You know, pick bottomless pit, you know, whatever. Pick a, pick a turn. And, uh, you know, this is this is how to, to mitigate the risk that's going on. Because, like, truth be told, the motorcycle class at Pikes Peak is probably one good accident away from being just ended. And then it'll just be a car race from that point going forward. Because it is a car race. It's a car race that some motorcyclists are allowed to participate in as well. It's a good the, old boy network. Definitely. For not, sure. Not evil, 
just straight up good old boy been doing a long time very insular just yeah i don't it's a car race first yeah it's a period, it's a period. it's a car hill climb same with the scta with bonneville that's right. why the bub speed trials exist because that's more motorcycle friendly but the scta a lot of the rules all trickle down from car stuff and it you can tell they're not all about the bikes and it's not you know it doesn't support it as well so the things that people do to go fast on two wheels at at bonneville i'd actually it's it's more impressive that they can get through the bs of the of that there and the same type of thing goes for pike's peak right and the opposite would be uh isle of man where that's a bike thing right right, right. and the only thing that is four-wheeled at the isle of man is the subaru exhibition lap which is neat that was really impressive it's always neat yeah. it's a cool thing to see it's a cool thing to go by uh to see go by when you're sitting on the hedgerow but you know that's never going to be there's never going to be like a car class or anything like that yeah. although there is there's like mumblings about it sometimes is that a segue into the into the australian thing or do you want to continue talking about the we can talk about the australian thing so so this is this is our next item of interest is australia is considering like a tt type race they're calling it the sunshine coast tt so it'd be like near brisbane australia um, which is north of Sydney, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Just north of the Gold Coast, I believe. That's like Great Barrier Reef. Yeah, area. closer to the Great Barrier Reef, but yeah. it's still it's huge. Yeah, well, I mean, Australia is it's a really big island. It's almost a continent. <laughs> you know? Sure. It's like you can fit a lot of kangaroos in there, man. <laughs> uh, but it's a cool little it's a cool little project that it actually sounds like it has some legs. They, they've had a couple kind of town hall type meetings in the area to see if it's something that they can put together. It's it's near a popular kind of biker Is spot it? to go to. Yeah. That's kind of like the impetus. So they're looking at almost a 30 mile course. It's 29.2 mile course. Public roads. A lot of the the roads go through kind of like privately owned property. So it's going to be hard to do spectating. But, you know, they say that, but like so is the TT. You know, at the end sure. of the day, if it if it draws enough interest and it helps people out locally, it's got to be right. And I think that's the thing they're trying to they're trying to figure out. And I think they're talking like it's going to bring potentially eight point five million into the economy, the local economy there, which could be good. It, they're shooting for like a December time frame, I believe, mid mid or early December, which it, which is which, summer peak summer which there. peak is summer peak time for summer there. But also it times it well because. The Macau GP is like mid-November. So you could kind of set up this thing where we have the Irish road races in the beginning of Northern Hemisphere summer and then transition to a Southern Hemisphere summer with Macau, Sunshine TT, and then maybe, you know, another race in South Africa or something could come along as well. I know there's been some mumblings there. I I know it seems like an implausibility, but boy, would it be neat to try and figure out a place in the United States for that. I just know it couldn't, it, it would never get enough traction legally right i mean it's well, but you know, there's so people, many spots i think could work right people talk about the the legal aspect of it and i think that's i think that's kind of like a shitty a shitty argument because what's 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 the argument who's going to sue in that situation you know like who who's going to be like oh this is the lawyer's going to come and ruin it well what, what's the argument for the lawyer that the competitor died what, what's the argument that the competitor didn't know that road racing was dangerous well, is that the same thing we're talking about with Pikes Peak, though? Isn't that why you feel they're going to get scared of it? Otherwise, they just say, yeah, it's your risk. Come on. If you I fly think, off the mountain, that's your personal well, responsibility. Pikes Peak, I think the, the issue of Pikes Peak is, one, it's just run extremely poorly. Two, they have no idea what's happening on the course at any point in time. Up until the, the recent 
last year or two. I'm trying to think when they changed the spectator rules. You literally had spectators crossing yeah. a live track. They have no eyes on the course. They have almost no marshalling. They have almost no timing. The the so I think I think Pike's Peak had a lot of issues from a just a general management perspective. And then there's that perception of like, oh, a motorcyclist died, and then that gets in like the Colorado Springs newspaper or Colorado newspaper or national newspaper, and it's like we don't need to have that kind of publicity going on here. I think I think they would get shut down for different reasons. But like, you know, if you do if you handle your spectators correctly, if you handle your marshals correctly, I don't understand what the legal liability really would be to be that's any different from anywhere else in the world. That's that's my point. Like there's nothing special about the American legal system that makes it more prone to litigious actions from people than, than say the UK or the Isle of Man or Australia. Well, then I'd say it, it would then be hard to win the hearts and minds of people to get something like that. Where's the Isle of Man? It's been going on for uh, I bet, over a hundred years, right? Yeah. I, I bet, I bet if Red Bull came in, <laughs> good point, you know, and like <laughs> did it right. Yeah, sure. And then like promote the heck out of it and put like a ton of money into the local economy. Yeah. People will be like, Hey, we love this thing. I can see it. And I can see it at a couple of places in Southern California. I know a couple of loops of 30 something miles that would be pretty epic. Right. And you could totally do it. And it'd just be, imagine the, the, the infrastructure it would take to get it done though. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. I guess more than the legal aspect is. I don't think that's any different than like when like, um, the, the Giro to the California. The Tour to California. Yeah. Sure. Good point. Yeah. Good point. Sure. Uh, any, or any of those other type events. What is, uh, Long Beach? Didn't they host? Formula One or IndyCar? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. But that's at least tight enough to where it's just the downtown area. That's a lot different than 37 miles of who knows what, right? Can but, you imagine? You know, it doesn't have to be 37 miles. You look at like the the Northwestern. Um, Northwest 200. The Southern uh, 100. Southern 100 is on the Beloan circuit, which is five miles, I think, or four miles. So that's, that's in the town of um, Castletown. Sorry, I've never been there. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, like it's you don't have to have a 30-mile course like the No, but to be epic here. and awesome, you you would want to to be close to that. You'd want it to be uh, just like the Australians are doing 30 miles, plenty. It's fast. That'll be awesome, right? Doesn't need to be 37, no. Do you need to, you know, America, got to make it bigger, better, faster, more? No, not necessarily. Well, I mean, I I go I, I see what you're saying. I think like like it's interesting for these Australian guys like they're going to cap how many spectators can come and watch the race and I think What's the spectator number? I don't know, but it was like, I don't remember, I want to say it was like 5,000 or 8,000 or 16,000 spectators, whatever it is. It was like a small number, but, you know, and because that, that's mostly because they're just afraid, probably like what we were just talking about, like, you know, spectator control. You sure. don't want spectators walking the course and doing all that stuff. So they'll set up like grandstands in certain areas and that's where you watch the, the race from. But, you know, if you have a smaller racetrack, you can condense those people into it. So then it becomes more of a, a tighter spectacle like that's always the thing that you have to remember too is like the spectacle for the yeah. for the fans yeah that's where i like watching road racing or not watching road racing, but like like we just watch moto gp today sometimes watching moto gp in person isn't that great just because it's so far out and like yeah and like, you want oh, to see it all i see on one TV. turn and if this turn doesn't have the jumbotron then i have no idea what's happening at the other 20 turns sure and so that's always the thing like when i talk to the moto gp photographers a lot of the times they have no idea what happened during the race because they're watching it from a single turn and, you know, that means they're missing the action everywhere else. So unless yeah. that pass happens right in front of them or that yeah. guy crashes right in front of them, they don't know. So something to consider. Uh, I really hope this gets off the ground. It sounds like it has some legs. I don't know. 
what it's going to take to get it moving forward, but we'll definitely keep you apprised of it. Cool. Next topic. That's Brexit from that. <laughs> so, you know, I want to buy one of these things. The, the, the Husky. The Husky. Yeah, I think we, wouldn't we all, really? If there's somebody that looks at a, at a supermoto bike and says, I would never want to have one not, of those. Not for me. Yeah, I would. I would have d- doubts <laughs> as to whether you're a motorcycle enthusiast. I would be like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to yank your card. Oh man. So, so we're talking about the the Husqvarna FS450. Husk. The Husqvarna. Husk. Yeah, that's how you say it if you're Scandinavian. Yeah, that's sure. Uh, now it's just even, how I say even it. I, even I, I can, I can listen. I can hear it right now. Husqvarna. Some, some. Husk. Stupid Swedish listener being like, well, that's not how you say it. <laughs> Husqvarna. You gotta like spit somewhere in between like the, the vowels. <laughs> yeah, sure. Listen, all right, redneck. <laughs> Anyways. Well, you gotta call it a husky like you gotta call yeah. a Ducati yeah. a duck. Duck. Because <laughs> oh, we can't it. pronounce the other letters. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. So husky, fair enough. I like husky though. I like that huskies. Is- I got a husky in my garage. I like it. Well, I don't. I do. It's just it's a love hate that is that's a true love that is, hate that there. is a bike i have to work very hard to love yeah but it's been running really well lately so and i've been having fun on it and it's been nice weather your so. fingers none of your fingers are crossed that's because it hasn't puked oil over no, all you over should be me crossing lately. your fingers because yeah. it, it's imminent yeah i'm sure i'm sure the motor's gonna blow up the next time i start it everybody makes fun of that but that was that that was a bmw thing it's a bmw and motor. That, well so it's a it's a is it kimco it's one of the Taiwan. Well, yeah, but who designed it? A lot of people don't make this differentiation between who built it and who designed it. Oh, well, the people that built it, it must be shitty. Like they're talking about Thailand. I was like, no, 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 no. Now, just because a bike is made in Thailand or, no, no, no. or whatever doesn't mean it's bad. It's whoever the fuck in- engineered it. No, I think I think it actually is engineered by Kim Co. BMW bought it and then Husqvarna used it for this bike. Ugh. So, so I, somebody I in the be, I could be wrong. Uh, somebody in the wrong. higher echelons of BMW looked at that fucking design and said, "Oh yeah, I like that. that. That's good. Work. That'll be good." And uh, I don't remember what is the strange thing about that engine. It doesn't have what component that takes the the power from the crankshaft to the gearbox. There's something really stupid in there, right? Some compliant element gear or there is a torque limiting, like kind of like it's a gear, but it's on like a it's on like a breakaway. So if it exceeds a certain amount of torque, it just goes kaput. So that's that's one of the weird things about that motor. Uh, the other part, I mean, the, the people get shitty about the motor because it's the same. It's the 450 lump that came out of the G450X, which was like BMW's failed experiment for like an off-road bike. Uh, with a concentric, it has swing a concentric arm pivot swing arm pivot. And, and uh, so just so you know what we're talking about, the concentric pivot means that the gearbox, the countershaft sprocket, countershaft sprocket yeah. is in the same axis as the swing arm pivot which is a very strange thing and we would have that's a that's a whole podcast it's fun because i go to the track day and they go to check like my they do like the tech inspection they go look at my chain they're like oh your chain's way too tight like it's concentric yeah suck on that suck on that when i'm bleaking oil all over turn three (laughs) i usually like dude that's the last of your (laughs) worries the least of your worries don't worry about it all right (laughs) my air box has more oil in it than my crank (laughs) my crankcase and then we're gonna talk (laughs) because that's gonna happen in like three laps yeah all right so multiple failure modes on that engine but generally it's been doing okay it's a street bike it's rare it's the supermoto version of that whatever bike that is is that right are we talking about my bike yeah 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 my bike so my bike is the SMR 511. For those of you that, that don't know, I have a Husqvarna, I have a Husqvarna SMR 511. 
uh, which is a 477cc engine because people can't do math. Well, they just stroked out the 450, but that's a whole different sure. can of worms. And you enjoy it. And it's fun. And, but it, it came from the factory as a supermoto. It's street legal, uh, California plated, or was California plated. So California street legal, which is, you know, different than, say, like Washington state street legal. Sure. So that's cool. Easy to title, easy to insure. It's fun to ride around town. I've got it geared way too tall i'll have for, to have a go on that sometime yeah. i've never i've never ridden it last time i had a buddy go out and ride it that's when i needed a new engine but yeah you should definitely take it for a rip it's a lot of fun to ride i think um i think our buddy ronnie did the uh power commander map for it and it's making like 47 50 ish horsepower at the rear wheel which is pretty good pretty good for a uh, California legal engine for a setup, street legal yeah. without I mean, it, any modifications, right? Yeah, that was. I think we just put a pipe on it. Sure, uh, and even then, like the pipes, not even that big. So of you've deal. got some husky love going, and got, you're gonna husk. Hus- you want to husk this thing? I want to husk this thing. So the the 2017 version of the FS450 of the Husqvarna FS450 is pretty sweet because we talked about I think two or three shows ago the motocross bikes coming out with traction control. Yep. Launch control and all that. So they just took that technology, slapped it right onto the supermoto. So where are they racing? The, like at this stage, is there a, a Euro? It's pretty popular. I wouldn't say it's pretty popular. It's popular in Europe. It's really popular, or more popular, I should say, in like France. Yeah, of course. Like like they are seeing like a lot of the top supermoto teams are easterly, are either Eastern European or like French. Sure. And that, that was the way it was even when the AMA Supermoto was in full swing in the yeah. mid-2000s. A lot of the teams and the f- fast people were Euros, and a lot of them had French names. Yeah. And that was cool. That's that's the kind of the world thing about Supermoto. I mean, Supermotard, that whole right. name, that's a French. Right. That's French. That's we, so French it hurts. in the U.S., it was the Superbikers back in the right. early mid-'80s, and it would be on the ABC Wide World of Sports, and it was bitching, and that was kind of the start. And somebody at some point in time, 10, 15 years later in France, was like, well, we want to keep doing this. And it started to roll in the late-'90s. I remember the first time I ever saw it, I was at the streets of Willow, and I saw a bunch of people on weird shit supermotoing, including a Ducati Monster. And uh, Brian Catterson was on something bizarre like a CR 500 or a Kajiva 500 two stroke. And it was a neat time. Don Kinney at that time was. I was going to say, Don Kinney was really big into getting super bikers off super the Super TT. There was a class. I don't know. There was an organization from SoCal. So seeing that and then being in it and, and watching it and then watching the AMA um, series start boiling and X Games at the time, we were part of X Games. Uh, I, when I worked with Graves, I was. Team support for the uh, for the Supermoto team uh, for a long time, so it was uh, it was great to be part of that for sure. I love it. I think it's fascinating stuff. And now that I'm a better dirt bike rider, I actually want to get back into to doing it because I only did it once or twice and I wasn't very good at it because I was not a good dirt bike rider at all, not even a little bit. So now I have some experience with that. I'd be stoked. That that's music to my ears because I definitely need someone to come out to the car track with me. I'm not going to be able to buy Husqvarna 701 though. What is it going to be like nine grand, ten grand? <clears throat> well, the 701. I don't know if, how much fun that would be around a racetrack. That's oh sorry, 10, that's what? ten grand. The FS 450 yeah, is going to be like. I think between 10 and 12. Yeah, because it's all It's going to be available in the U.S. in September. You can get the... See, I never actually saw the price for the 2016. I meant to ask a buddy who's got one. But it's around that mark. And it's kind of like a you're going to have to order it from your dealership and it's going to have to come special. But you don't have to buy a dirt bike and then put probably three four thousand dollars worth of wheels and brakes and other accoutrements right. on it. Well, and that's the thing. Like that's And that's what I like about 
my husky versus like going the other route which would have been to buy like a dirt bike and do the conversion myself like it's already done i don't have to sit there with wheel spacers and figure out like is my chain lining up right it's just it works it works right out of the box but it it's less of a headache in some ways than than if i bought like a crf 450 from honda and try to find some wheels and get it all bolted up and dick around with the gearing and then it's like oh it's a fuck it's like my bike's a six speed so then i've got like an mx bike that's a five speed it's a wide ratio versus a close ratio the whole the whole thing you still would have been better off just buying a crf 450 i'm just gonna say that right now <laughs> well if sorry I, if i knew i was gonna blow through an engine in like 300 miles yeah obviously um and and frankly they're more competent i know this bike this because it is a street bike and it is street legal and it's got some stuff and it's just not nearly as light and as trick as a proper built done well that's what this bike. is right that's what i, I mean that's where i kind of like get torn like i wish it was street legal but i do like the fact this is an out-of-the-box race bike and and so it's got the traction control it's got the launch control which is interesting but also has the air forks and we were talking before the show about that uh i think that's i don't know what to make of that i haven't i haven't ridden a bike with air forks so i don't i'm not able to speak with experience on how those work so what the listeners need to understand is that in most suspension units you're using a, a steel spring it might not it might be titanium but it's a it's a structure a spring structure to hold it up and then to absorb the uh the bumps um and and so the spring is the fork uh, the force acting on it and these it's air spring which is a, a cartridge filled with air and air actually is a decent spring yeah you're compressing the air when it, it engineered correctly it can be a great thing and then you don't have I think it might be like six or seven pounds of they're, spring. They're quoting it's a 3.65 okay, pound so reduction, but probably depends on what bikes we're talking about as far as what yeah, weight no doubt. Are. So I, you know, that was my guess. I, I didn't know how how heavy something like that might be because the the springs aren't huge, but six even three pounds at all adds up. Or maybe it's the control. So the Hondas and and I can't remember which other Japanese manufacturers have been using these air forks on the supercrossy bikes. So CR four fifty, CRF four fifty, or YZ four fifty. I think have had air forks for a while now. And I I don't know if it's a fad or not because I I saw that the potentially the newest Honda that's coming out next year might go back to spring forks. And I who knows if it's a feel thing. If it's a if, I, I doubt it's a weight thing. I'm sure that it's a good thing to have a weight as a benefit. But if you can't quite tune them in because the spring doesn't do the right thing, or if they're problematic and blow out other seals internally, it might be an issue. I don't know. I mean, like I said, like I don't have any experience with it. But my my distance observation from it would just be it's it's pretty different. You know, and you're sitting there and you have to like fill it up. Like you literally have like a, a special pump to fill up the the fork tubes to get your pressure right. Because like part of the tuning is what pressure sure. of air you're going to use in there. Sure. And, you know, that's a completely different kind of understanding than going back to, you know, coiled springs and looking at spring rates. And, you know, you're talking to any suspension guru guy and they're going to tell you dampening settings and shim stacks and spring rates and mid, mid stroke, end of the stroke progressive springs straight rate springs right spring preload do you want a high amount of spring rate with a low amount of preload do you want a low amount of preload with a high spring? whatever there's so, so many different ways you can cut right. it so so take all that knowledge and just throw it out and be like and here's your bicycle pump yeah same you thing know. you use on your fox shock on your on your downhill front forks right yeah so i think there's a little bit and it's the same thing you look at with like moto 2 i think there's a little bit of just like this is what we know so that's what we stick to kind of thing and maybe that's been the pushback and that's why honda is going to go back to 
a traditional spring. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case or not. Uh, I'd be curious. I'd be curious to ride ride one and see what it's like, though. I had a Schrader valve on my VTR two fifty front forks. I remember just putting air in there without even not even knowing how much I was putting in there, <laughs> and they'd be all like way too that, stiff. That feels right. Yeah, no, and be like, <laughs> oh, that's stupid. And then going to the mechanic that I knew, good old Philip Fisher, and him looking at me like, you stupid asshole, don't do that, right? You're not. It's like the zero to four psi, not zero to thirty two. Right. But you see a Schrader valve, it's the same that's on my wheel, so it must be about the same I'm putting in my tire, right, right? Right. Just fill it up. Yeah. Fill it up, Skippy. Sure. Um. But yeah. So. So super cool to see that this this Husky is coming out. It's probably the most advanced supermoto on the market. Now. I'd like to see a little bit deeper. It almost looked like it had smaller wheels than normal, like a like it's almost a, like sixteen fives. It's a sixteen five front. Is it really? Rear. Yeah. So I wasn't well. So what? That's that's weird, man. Like we went, the world went away from sixteen fives ten think, years ago. I think it's still a thing in supermoto though. That's I think fascinating. You can still get supermoto so who makes those tires? tires? Well, in this case, Metzler, I think. Huh. That's really interesting. When I first saw the wheel, I was like, "That, that looks like a freaking sixteen five. And and a lot of people are like, "How the hell could you tell?" But the sidewalls on sixteen fives are huge. The tire itself is burly because it's you're using. That's the reason they do it. The circumference is about the same as a seventeen. It's just you're getting more structure. You're you're getting a lot of compliance from the tire itself. And and that front end feel is critical on a on a supermoto because you're hanging the rear out so much and you gotta be able to to take it from hung out sideways to powering on pushing the front out. And that does some weird things to those fronts. It's a weird chassis setup. That's the same thing that happened with between the tires of Bridgestone tires and Michelin tires in MotoGP. Sure. Roughly the same overall circumference. We're just seeing a lot of difference in, in construction, meaning sidewall height and flexitude. Flexitude. That's 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 a technical term. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that one. Flexitude. No. Bib Bib the Michelin dude Good. has flexitude. <laughs> oh, it's Bridgestone. Sorry, it's Bridgestone. Bridgestone. Here is on the, it's the Bridgestone R four twenty. Yeah, it is four. Well, that was of course four twenty is. <laughs> just, it's not just a a day or a time to smoke weed. Four twenty is a sixteen and a half. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Alpina wheels, by the way, tubeless Alpinas, pretty sexy. Are they carbon fiber? I don't think they're carbon fiber. No, you would hope not. Okay, good. Well, I mean, I'm sure the racer people would. Nah, probably not. Unless you're going to change them all the time. I, know, I was talking to Michelle DeSalvas. Who highly. I saw finish the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. She was fourth in class. Oh, good for her. Which was rad. Yeah. And um, I, I saw a couple things saying that she was having a good week. I just didn't hear, hear the result. I think it's what what it looked like to me is she took her brother to, yeah. to be her wrench, which yeah. I thought was awesome. It's cool. She, this is a woman that is, is one of the highest level female mechanics in the world like she works on heavy duty high, uh, uh flat track racing bikes and and supermoto and, and super all yeah. of the above she, she works on everything out of the bay area so she's like super rad and she's a racer she, she's a, a personal hero i'd say because like you it, being a woman in this industry and being able to do that and excel at it and it's like she's just like middle fingers out to everybody it's awesome and, and, i love it and she knows how to make some horsepower sure no and it's not just oh she works on bikes it's she works on bikes right so that's cool and she got to the top of the bike speak i don't know if she'd ever done it before it no, seemed no, she like, has she's she seemed years. like she talked about it the way like she loved the event but um so she had she'd done it before but her bike looked sweet and it was cool to see a pick at the top of the hill yeah good for her um hopefully yeah, I'm going to have to check out the Pikes Peak results, even though I, I kind of hate the race. You shouldn't. It's oh, awesome. I'll have to go. I, I like I like it. I just don't like... Here's what I don't like. Uh, I don't like the organization of it. 
I don't like or the, lack thereof. Well, that's the issue. I don't like what they're doing with spectators, although I understand it. I don't like the whole race week itself from like a journalistic point of view is a total pain in the ass. I don't like that there's really no communication between checkpoints. You don't really know what's going on. I don't like that from a spectator point of view. I don't like that from an enthusiast point of view. And I don't like that from a journalistic point of view. Because you just, you just have no idea what's going on. And um, I don't know. It seems kind of whiny. Who cares? It's a fun race. It's a fun race. I don't it's know. Fascinating. It's 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 cool. I'm glad that it's there. I hope it continues. I just it's 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 dead to me. Fair enough. Okay. Moving along. Um blah, 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 blah. Audi wants to us to know that Ducati is not for sale. <laughs> They're very emphatic on the on the fact <laughs> that Ducati is not for sale. You shit stir stirring all kinds of shit. Wasn't even me. You reading to talk to, reading talk, Bloomberg and you want to talk to Bloomberg and, and Forbes Wall about Street that one. Journal or whatever it was. Yeah. So yeah. Th- this is the funny thing is that uh, you you put out a, a article stating kind of then this it's and it's not emphatic it's like ah hey you know speculatory this is something that's going on that Bloomberg and Forbes had picked up on that VW because they are in a shit ton of trouble eighteen twenty billion dollars worth of trouble because of Dieselgate uh, they're looking to potentially have to divest themselves of assets maybe right maybe well so so the story was the the story that Bloomberg was reporting that people kind of ran with with the jump to conclusions map. The, the story that they were coming up with was that Audi was about, not, not Audi, the Volkswagen group, they were they were about to have an announcement on how they were going to handle the diesel gate. That, that was known for sure. And this was like Wednesday, and they were saying like the next day, Thursday. The speculation that Bloomberg was reporting on was that it was expected that the Volkswagen group would say that they were going to put all their assets up for review on whether or not they should keep them to see what kind of value they would have if they were sold. One of which would be Ducati. So the idea is that it is possible that Volkswagen would consider selling Ducati. That's that's about as much as you can say in that direction on that story. And and it is of course like even if even with this denial from from Audi of course what Bloomberg was reporting was true sure. because they have to at least, even if it's just like the intern in the mail room, be like, Hey Timmy, uh, how much is Lamborghini worth? How much is uh, Ducati worth? Just write, literally just make up a number, put it down on a piece of paper so yeah, we can sure. say we reviewed it because you have to, when you're a publicly traded company, you yeah. go through that kind of due diligence to say like, Hey, we looked at whether or not we could sell our assets. It really doesn't seem like the great idea. Instead, we're going to go do this. So, you know, I, I really can't fault the financial, institution the financial the institutional publications of the financial sector for making that statement or making that that story because it's absolutely true whether or not how publicly facing that decision is 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 another question but you know that was at least a two second conversation two minute conversation in in the volkswagen boardroom right so you posted up the the reality is is i posted a story that was very much what i just described to you other people posted a story that Ducati is for sale. Other people posted stories that Ducati has already been sold, is about to be sold. You know, like that's what I'm saying. Like the jump to conclusions, and there's, I think it's a lot of, I think a lot of that stems from just the fact that the motorcycle industry doesn't cover business issues very well. Sure, the, the understanding of what goes on and like the minutia, and that was kind of seems like splitting hairs. But like in the business world, these distinctions have a lot of importance. The, the distinction of saying that, you know, it's going to come up for review is very different than saying that it's for sale and which is obviously very different than saying it is sold. Yeah. So I think there's, there's some just 
some levels there that aren't quite being understood, but it certainly doesn't help when you have other publications saying that Ducati's up for sale. The Ducati's up for sale for a million dollars. I heard TPG was going to buy Ducati back again. You know, like <laughs> yeah, sure. there was definitely people running with that story a lot farther than it needed to be go. And I can understand that that would, what ended up actually happening is it was actually kind of disappointing because the Volkswagen group comes out on that Thursday and they're like, Hey, so our new plan is we're going to invest more in electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles. And that's how we're going to get ourselves out of this future. We're going to be a part of, we're going to be a part of the future. And that's how we're going to get out of our, get out of this diesel gate issue. And you're like, well, of course you're going to be building more electric vehicles and develop autonomous vehicle technology. Everyone's doing that right now. Yeah. Like, like you basically just told me something I already knew, but, um, uh, so Ducati's not for sale. Ducati's not for sale. What do you do? Audi chairman Rupert Stadler was very emphatic that Ducati is not for sale. They like Ducati. Ducati makes them money. That's the end of that. And that was like the thing I was trying to point out in the story because I was very skeptical in the story that Ducati would ever get sold because at the end of the day, Ducati's in the black. They may not be like a huge cash cow for Audi, but they're in the black. And why would you get rid of something that's making you money? You, you know, Especially like, that's a halo brand that is competing against brands that you want to kill like BMW and Mercedes. Uh, or BMW on the, on the motorcycle side, um, it's, it's kind of like, for me, that was one of the main, uh, what, what trickled down intercompany was that the Audi side was like, we definitely want to have a motorcycle company in our under our wings that is going against BMW. For sure. Even though a lot of people think that's a subtlety, and it is. Eh, I don't know. There's a lot of FU going on there, and I love it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's and at the end of the day, like, Ducati's not really worth that much. Like, I'm not to put it down, but it's like, you're going to get like a billion dollars for Ducati. What's that really done for you on your $20 billion debt? Sure. Which they're kind of financing and figuring out. Yeah, it's sure. just one thing. It's like, it's just, it's a lot easier to get banks and lenders and people to negotiate with you. And you can say like, hey, well, we can repay you back. And this is one of the companies that's going to help repay you back because it's adding, you know, however many million dollars to our bottom line every year. Million dollars, million euros, but whatever. So... Interesting to see that Ducati is uh, still going to be around. Sure. But thankfully, actually, so this is one of the things we can announce to the readers. By the time you get this podcast, I will be in Italy uh, interviewing Claudio Domenicali about this very subject. So, Are you sure you won't, by the time they're listening to this, the article won't already be out? No, no, that's going to take way longer. i got to okay. like, transcribe it and everything. <laughs> okay. Just make sure. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about the show. We're going to have a long talk. Are we going to have a kerpuffle? Oh, there's going to be a kerpuffle. There's a, especially going to be a kerpuffle. Exactly. All right. I'm going to murder diddly earlier. We have too much fun. It's fun with words. <laughs> Anywho. Um, last newsy item because we're, we're slowly getting through these. This is something I actually really wanted to spend more time on. So Vertical Scope, a company that I'm sure none of our listeners actually know who they are, but they should got hacked and like 40 million users information got put out into the dark web. <laughs> so, so for those that don't There's know, rapists, they've got your emails. I don't think they're rapists. They're probably Russian. Hey, Hey, the Russians, the Russians hack a lot, man. I don't think people realize. Okay. It. So that's not just a prejudice. That is a no, truth. No, no, no. Like we are having like a secret cyber war with Russia, North Korea, and China. Is that the axis of evil? That's the internet it's axis the of evil. Republican axis of evil. <laughs> Those Ruskies. <laughs> Darn Ruskies. Darn Ruskies. And their communism. I kind of like Rusky as like a slur, though. I don't know. Like, it's not like Husky? 
Huskies, no, a husky like on a, a rusky, a husky and a rusky. It's just kind of like it's just fun to say, like a rusky. Yeah. Yar. Is it a is it a slur though? And yeah, it probably is. To probably. Somebody. I'm sure. sure. I'm sure Russians don't enjoy being called ruskies. Yeah, I bet not. Pinko scum. They probably well, don't like that's being called way pinkos. too far. That well, they're they're not a communist anymore. They would definitely take offense to that. Oh yeah, they're not communists now. I don't think they ever were. <laughs> not really. Yeah. Well, true. <laughs> they just traded one dictator for another. Yeah. That's, that's a whole different podcast. Sure. Though. Plutocracy, kleptocracy, some somewhere in there, right? Go into the gulagtocracy. <laughs> that's what that is. Sure. Right. <laughs> anyway, so so for those that don't know, back on track here. We're gonna get fan mail on that oh, or hate man. mail on that one. I, I we can, lost so many Russian listeners. Actually, we probably won't. We'll just get killed. Yeah. Just sorry. Off. Welcome to your last show of the Two Enthusiasts podcast. <laughs> Slash motorcycling podcast, motorcycle world, motorcycles, international <laughs> motorcycles, road racing, motor two GP, wheels, two kick wheels, up. kick stands up, hashtag KSU. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get through this story eventually. I'm not even drinking. I'm drinking lemonade we that has like pulpy berries in it. We literally are drinking lemonade and from the it. cheerleaders next door that are selling it. <laughs> we got spiked by boysenberry. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> vertical scope for those that don't know is a Canadian company. They're based out of Toronto. They own like virtually every motorcycle forum on the internet. I mean, close to it. They own a lot Did your of them. TL forum get bought out by them. No, but we definitely leveraged an offer from vertical scope to get a better deal than the one we had. Awesome. Okay. And I may have done that. And this at, was 10 years ago. And that's like, to be fair, like I think I did that a couple times to them. So sorry guys for partying. Welcome to American capitalism. <laughs> You shouldn't have lowballed you should have me. Said, sorry 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 but so but they own they own motorcycle.com which is probably the property that people are more familiar with if you don't go to like jixter.com or r1 forum or what is it a, zx10r.net aprilia forum is that one Aprilia forums own oh, like aprilia forum.com that I don't could know. be one AF1, of theirs i thought that was af1 AF1 is 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 a separate thing that's I don't an think, og forum right yeah what would like adv rider isn't that one adv of the, is probably independent still i i'm pretty sure there's there's a couple out there like like barf the bay area riders forum is still kind of independent sure. But like, there's just a lot of like, especially the model specific ones, like, uh, like Jixer.com is a huge forum for all the Suzuki Jixer sport bikes, uh, svrider.org.com. That was a huge one for the SV650 market. So they've, they've got their tentacles. They got tentacles out there, man. <laughs> um, they own a lot of, lot of, lot of forums. And then as we saw, 40 million users worth of data and, and not very good security well so that's the thing so i actually know a lot about this because one i was in the motorcycle forum space and two i've had some contact with vertical scope obviously through through my dealings with divesting myself of forums and also they kind of came onto the market while i was still in the space so we saw them grow we saw them take people over we saw them buy people and sell people and uh i also have used the same software that they use I have very intimate knowledge on vBulletin, which is like basically the gold standard software when it comes to online message forums. And it's very robust and it has a really great developer's market. So there's a lot of free and cheap stuff that you can add on to add functionality and to add features. But it also is a nightmare for security issues. It's just it's just buggy as hell. For a long time, you had to pay to get the security upgrades, which was just dumb. And it was like, if you buy the software, it's like 150 bucks or whatever. Then you have to pay like another 100 bucks a year to get all the software patches. And like, there's a lot of serious, serious bugs. And they're, they're one of the few companies that makes you pay for the mistakes that they've made. Um, 
it's just it's a really backwards business model but because they have such a stranglehold on the industry yeah and there's not really like there's some open source and there's some other uh similarly priced products that are out there but none of them have like the same functionality and just like so they monopolize the mediocrity yeah and they're like i got like like they're based out of south america i think and it's just kind of like a weird not canada v bolton V Bolton's based out of South America. Ah, vertical what's scope, that all about? Vertical scope's based out of Canada. Okay. So they got hacked. Um, there is, uh, so like this gets like farther down the rabbit hole than we need to go, but like there's this place called leaked source, which is like a, like a, the Google of like stolen databases. Yeah. And you have to pay to have access to it. So it, the information got put up on leaked source. So, which basically means now it's for sale. And the, the kicker is it basically means like any of these forms you go to, um, your login credential has been compromised, which you could be like, oh, you know, big freaking do. Like now someone can be, you know, my online persona on the Jixter.com forum. So whatever. Enjoy my 200 post count, whatever that's going to get you. But the reality is it's like, okay, well, if, you know, your username is Quentin Wilson and your login is like, I love kittens. But that's the same password you use for your bank account. Yeah, sure. Or your AOL or your Gmail sure. or, um, you know, whatever, Facebook. Oh, heaven forbid it's your Facebook because then you go into Facebook and then you get more personal information. So that's how that's what these people do. So they don't just like try and come in like, oh, I'm going to hack your Jixer.com account. And no, they're using that to go further, deeper. They're going to they're gonna take that account. They're going to go to like Wells Fargo and Bank of America and local credit union, whatever, Portland Credit Union and see if that login works there. And what they end up doing is they have like this list, they have these 40 million logins and they just set up a computer and they'll actually use hack computers across the world to do this like distributed, use a distributed attack and they'll just basically go through all of them. They'll just brute force that list across all these major financial institutions, all these major social networks to see what works. So you'll, they'll use the login that you used for uh, jixerform.com yeah whatever that login and password and put the same one auto populate into then they could probably do this in seconds uh, into all it takes the, however long the system takes I mean and that's the thing like people don't understand like remember when, when like um, uh, spyware was a really big deal yeah it still kind of is so that was one I haven't it, heard that in a while right spyware and what was the other one uh, well just bots in general yeah yeah so, I mean, that was that was the bigger issue with spire it wasn't just like oh hey i downloaded weather bug and now like weather bug shows up on my desktop all the time and it makes my computer really slow yeah well a lot of those things what they were actually doing they would turn your computer into a zombie yeah yeah so so and then using and your hard drive space or your, your connection your, your, your cpu or whatever to so your computer is doing stuff that you don't even know about and there's there they're literally these zombie networks that are for sale so like, and a lot of this is happening in Russia, which is actually funny. The damn Ruskies yep. and North Korea and China, and we even do it in the U.S. I'm sure we do. And and so you can you know you can basically go into you know these kind of dark web places and be like, hey, I need to rent twenty thousand zombies from you, and they'll be like, all right, for a week they're yours for like a thousand bucks. And, and why? And, what would you do with that? And th- that's how you would take. Then you would take this list of forty million oh, users. Oh, that's how you get the, compu- the computing power. The computing power to get through. Okay. Yeah. So then they're just big. What they call a brute force attack. They're just entering in the info. It's all automated, so it's very quick. But it still takes time. It yeah, still sure. takes the web page to load and all the connection. But like they can go through a list, like forty million users. I mean, you can go through that list in a couple hours or a couple days, depending <laughs> on what kind of computing power you have behind <laughs> See, you. And that's so far beyond most people's 
scopes, not to pun, right. no pun intended, that I, I don't, I think most, myself included, I thought, well, that first time I'm like, well, I did sign up for Ducati MS at some point in time. I don't know if that is one. That is one. Yeah. And so that's the largest Ducati form on the internet, Ducati.ms. And I, when I, when I thought of it, I'm like, oh, I'll have to, I, but I didn't take it seriously. I didn't go, I didn't go and change my password. I didn't, right. And I probably should. But at the same time, over the years, I've had a set of very simple passwords for just doing bullshit like forums. And I've kept them separate from ever other stuff, right? So that's so, that's good password protection, but that's not great. Sure. So because no. that's the thing, because like people start like lumping in, like like I like one of the things I was trying to tell people was, okay, so your Ducati MS login might be the same as your Twitter, or might be the same as your Absolutely. Facebook. Absolutely, sure. Okay, no, so sure. now they just had another layer of information. Now they know, yeah. hey, this name and this password belongs to Quentin Wilson. Quentin Wilson works at Motocorsa. Huh. Well, Motocorsa uses Gmail. So now I'm going to go to the Motocorsa Gmail login and see if it's the same credential. Yeah, sure. And they, it's just it's just one more piece of information that they can churn against to see how much more information and how much more access can they get. And and truth be told, like, you know, most people, like if they're my mom, it's probably the same password for everything. Kittens, 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 man. Yeah. You know, it's just like right. there's just one password to rule them all. Like very few people have really good uh, password, safe password practices. I've my my the kittens is like there's a hashtag in there hashtag kittens hashtag kittens hashtag With a number KSU. or something right yeah. yeah sure that's pretty much my login numbers and well if if people don't recognize this as you know over the course of years you know you go to your bank's page and they're saying you need to have two capital this and then yeah. a and a whatever you well, call like, that, a, like a period or a, a common or something what what do you like call a them? symbol a symbol you have to have these if you're not paying attention to that and thinking how can i do this smartly so that i can remember these fucking things and have a system you 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 deserve to get hacked and i'm well see that's like even the thing though like so this is the larger issue this isn't just like like your password was kitten like something easy to break something that you could guess you could have had the best password in the world and this would still be an issue. And this comes if back. If it was on that. But that's my point right. is that when I put shit on, on stuff like that, I don't trust it. I don't trust a forum, period, end stop. I don't trust certain other entities that, oh, you're going to have to put a password in to use this feature. So you end up putting in a really basic don't give a shit password because, like you said, I don't care if this gets hacked in this and I make sure that everything else is hardcore. A smart thing would probably be hardcore there, but then I'd forget every time and I'd have to constantly go well, back. Well, yeah, and that's why we're seeing like most modern browsers now will do some sort of password auto. management for you sure. and they'll auto-generate one. That's the best defense is to have a unique password for everything and, Ugh. you know, hopefully having one of these systems that remembers it for you, and, but then that creates a single point of failure. And switching them every few months. That's the other part of it. I mean, it's a huge, it's a gigantic pain in the ass. I mean, some people are going to be like, I don't know why you talked about that, but this is this is everyday life stuff. This is, this transcends motorcycles. Yeah. I, I, I think the big takeaway is just understand that like this is this is what modern digital living is going to turn into. Sure, making it so like hackers can't get information. That's what and that's what comes back to this Bolton software. Like that was our experience with it. Was just looking at how passwords are stored in Bolton is a joke, like literally a joke. It runs on an MD5 checksum, which is a way of encrypting or hashing information and that's it's a protocol that has been broken for a decade at least it's just a very antiquated way of of trying to make something harder yeah uh, to obfuscate the the passwords and it's just like you're so behind the times you're so behind the times and that's one of the things vertical scope came out they're like oh we're gonna reinvestigate how we 
store our data. And it's like, yeah, because you're using this software, which uses a really antiquated system. When we ran vBulletin software or the vBulletin forms, it's something that we realized when we were mucking around with it. We're like, hey, this is something that's really vulnerable. So we added another layer of encryption to uh, the usernames and passwords for this very reason, which is why it's like kind of near and dear to my heart in a way. And it's one of the things like we looked at with Asphalt and Rubber and the way that WordPress handles our logins and stuff. And it's something that's been definitely been on our mind because it's not like, like it's like the joke with motorcycles. It's not when you crash, but you know, if you crash, but when you crash, it's not if you get hacked, it's when you get hacked. And that's the same thing. So I think that catches up, us up with all the news. And we're only like, you know, an hour 20 into the show. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the lighter side of things, I, I did have a story I wanted to relate to you because I had a great conversation with Carlin Dunn before the Pikes Peak started kicking off. Yeah. Because he just won the Baja 500. He Ironmanned it. He Ironmanned it like a fucking boss. Well, but but there's different classes, right? So right. It's like, so he didn't overall win it, right? No, he won his class. Yeah. He was on a 250, I believe. I don't know. No. I think it's a 450. I think it's a 450 because he won it the year before. Well, I put, put quotes in the air, won it on a 250 the year before. And it turned out like he missed a checkpoint by like nine feet. And like the time penalty knocked him down, so he didn't win it. Okay, win it, but yeah. like, come on. Obviously, guy is a haul aster in the dirt. Haul aster in the dirt, super fast guy. Um, and a Pikes Peak. And a Pikes Peak, where he's still the record holder. I assume, having not checked the uh, the results for sure. today. Um, but he was just, you know, it was a really, it was really interesting to listen to him talk about the the Baja 500 because I mean, gnarly race just to begin with. This year, even more gnarly, because I guess like they were reaching temperatures like 120, oh, that's maybe right. 130, oh, like so just sad. crazy. We had 40 percent of the field, I think, finished. Yeah, there was a, a a good set of friends of mine from Alaska. One of their good buddies was was in that race, and he passed away. There was a couple of those guys. Yeah, and he, he it was that's just really heat exhaustion related. Yeah. I, I didn't, I haven't talked to him about it because it was obviously a very profound thing for this group of. Uh, uh, friends that that basically run and operate the motorcycle shop in in Anchorage, great people, amazing people, and this person was obviously dear to their heart. It was a bad deal because think about that pinnacle, amazing thing that they're doing the race and it's right. you know dreamscape stuff to be able to do something like that Bucket and then list, yeah. and then to die. It's one thing to to pass away in a horrible crash because you come and expect it, but to get heat some sort of heat related failure. Oh, dude, it's so bad because they were saying it was like. 118 it was, in, it was insane like listening like i i wish i'd recorded it so like we could listen to it because i'm me paraphrasing the story is not going to do carlin's justice. a pretty good storyteller carlin's a good storyteller and and it, it means a lot more coming from him but you know he's basically describing the the emotional and physical process that he went through the rate through the race which i'm sure all the competitors went through but he was talking about like you know they were they were really big on watching his internal temperature whenever he stopped you know, they were giving like an ear thermometer, yeah, cooling him down. But he was saying like, you know, like he hit heat exhaustion too. And there comes a point with heat exhaustion where it doesn't matter how much water yeah. you take in. Your body has shut down yeah. its ability to bring in water, to process fluids, to eat food, to, to do what it needs to do to get back to where it needs to go. Like it needs to physically cool down environmentally before it can start functioning again. So like he was drinking liters and liters of water. It doesn't matter. And it didn't even matter. And that's and that's how a lot of these competitors ended up on the wrong side of it. Because like it doesn't matter how much Gatorade they're slamming. It doesn't matter how much water they got in them. Unless it's, I don't even think if you take it intravenously, it, it helps you. Like your, your body 
physically will not process the water. It has gone beyond that yeah, point. You're heat soaked. Yeah, it's like an engine exactly. It's yeah. like you've become heat soaked. And you know, he was talking about like he was getting delusional. He had like basically thrown up all over himself. Like it was this just crazy thing to to go to that brink and back and then to finish. Well, how did he how did he get from that? Did he stop? Was he able to like was he puking and then made the checkpoint by happenstance? I mean, on, I mean, I think honestly, I think I think it was a combination of his team was monitoring him and 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 knew that this was an issue, so they were more diligent about making sure that he was just covered in ice packs whenever he was re- getting refueled or, yeah. or whatever. And I think part of it too is just it's just time. He was finishing the race quickly enough that the amount of heat yeah, soak sure. wasn't as long as say another competitor who was taking an hour longer. So yeah. it's an hour less of being sure. on that brink. Sure. Which means, you know, he got to come out of it quicker, which means it was less damage to his system, which means it was less opportunity for it to go. Yeah. The recovery that time way. is shorter. So he's recovered better when he start the next day or whatever it is. Well, or no, the there's no, day, no start next day. It's all once that's right. But that's what I'm saying. Like, so like, you know, he's maybe finishing, I'm just going to paraphrase it. I don't know, but like, let's say he's finishing at three o'clock in the day, whereas like the next, you know, guy 20 places down is finishing at five o'clock in the day. Well, maybe that two hours, that extra sure. two hours of being on the brink and the heat of the day can be the difference between life and death. So a lot of guys dropped out a lot. We had a couple of fatalities. Um, it's unfortunate to hear that you actually um, knew one of them, but it was, it was a gnarly, gnarly thing to, to listen to. And, you know, he was even saying like, I don't know if I want to do this race again. You know, like I'd sure. have to think about it. Because yeah. um, like they're saying, like, oh, you got to go do the one thousand now because he's basically won the two fifty. He's done the five hundred. He just won the five hundred Ironman. Now, like, oh, do a Baja thousand. Uh, so you know, Ironman meaning that he rode. He rode the whole thing. The whole thing. It was yeah. most of the time there are sets of two or three, maybe four people. I don't right. know. It depends. It depends on. Sure. I've I've seen, you know, plenty of people do it like kind of more on a fun level where like they get like 10 buddies and they'll each ride like two, three hours and it's a relay and that's just a fun time in Mexico. I, I have a good friend that, that put together an effort about 10 years ago and then right after took me down there and I got to ride with him uh, south of uh, Ensenada, south of the, the Bufadora. That was amazing. I would love to do it. I, I and Now that I'm a dirt bike rider, hardcore compared to what I was then, Oh man, I would love to do that. So seeing that stuff, there's something about the preparation, the machine prep, the machine itself, and the the persevering for for long amounts of time, which is something that I just experienced last weekend, um, uh, doing an um, an endurance race on mini bikes. Right, right. right which was so, the next thing I wanted to talk to. So that was a weird situation where um, I was I went out to a uh, an event where it was a, a group of motorcyclists called the Flying Fifteen Motorcycle Club put on a. Uh, uh, a, kind of a, an event at Long Beach, uh, Washington, which you can ride on. And they, they every year go out and have just kind of a, everybody hangs out and they, they do like interesting, uh, motorcycle related, I don't know what you call it, uh, stunts in the sand. Tom Foolery. Tom Foolery in general, but like they'll do a slow race and they'll do a, uh, some sort of a steeplechase maybe, or uh, what is it when you have a, jousting motorcycle jousting with balloons i mean it's totally nothing, awesome nothing bad could happen from Un, that unsafe <laughs> awful awesome so <clears throat> i went out to it didn't get to do any of that because it was on saturday but i got there in the uh that night and got to took a bunch of pallets in my van for him to burn and it was a lot of fun and the next morning this one of the guys was talking about i'm going to be doing this race in, in a f- couple weeks where uh, uh uh his name is cole so cole was like oh, i'm going with derek 
and we're going to go do the six-hour endurance on mini, on, and it's a mini bike intended race or a smaller bike intended race. It's like three hundred cc's and down. Yeah, three to three hundred down on the modern, and then five hundred down on vintage. And I can't remember where the break point was. Vintage. It was between nineteen eighty and eighty three. I think. Huh. So. I raised my hand up. I said, dude, I didn't even know this guy. Seriously, didn't know his name's Cole. I was like, I didn't know him, but I'm like, I am all about that. If you want, if you guys need somebody else, I will totally come in and, and I know I'm quick enough to be able to be like, I can help. Right. I'm not going to go in and, and be a failure. I, I cut my teeth racing on go-kart tracks. The thing was, he was on a some old two-stroke Honda. I didn't quite get it. I, he, he said it was an Elsinore, and I was like, okay. So in my head, I had the idea of it being a very old, mid-70s, twin-shock, silver tank, low, simple bike. <clears throat> and when I got to his garage the week of to help with preparation, it was a 1980 uh, long-travel suspension, twin-shock, lay-down style, uh, it's kind of a gnarly bike. So when I when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, this is I'm, I don't know if I'm ugh, right. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's kind of gnarly. And it's an old. He races vintage motocross. Uh, Cole does. So he'd been using this bike for 15 years and just was just going to spoon on some some uh, uh, tires onto the stock wheels. Right. Okay. So 21 inch front Avon, uh, uh, whatever the size rear. I think it's an 18 or 19. It was a, a Continental. And then we just went to went about the business of looking at the rule book. All right, what do we have to safety wire? What do we have to do? And we got it together. And uh, the track is called uh, Mac, Mac, track. Mac Track, which is in McMinnville, which I'd never been to. Which is where I go for my supermoto fun. Yeah, and now now I know it intimately. So we get out there, and I didn't know what to expect. I didn't really look it up. I know the club that put it on is a, a club called Sangfroy. 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 Okay, good. I'm glad I wasn't. This means cold blood. Cold blood. And it's uh, uh, another local. There's a lot of gangs here. I call, I call them gangs, gangs as a joke, but there's a lot of clubs in, in Portland. And uh, the Cretans are, are here. Uh, Sangfoy, uh, Flying 15. 15, are all very active and they constantly are doing stuff and it's really neat. In the beginning, I kind of looked at it like, well, this is kind of weird. I'm not really into the club thing. But the more I'm in it and 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 hang out with these people, the more I, I appreciate how much they value they bring into motorcycling in Portland, right? Well, we like like the the alley sweeper was yep, that was the same flaw, yep. yeah, right. And so this uh, this this was a good deal. So I get there and I see a lot of Ninja three hundreds and a lot of old shit. And when I say old <laughs> shit, I mean shit. It's fucking gnarly. But that's almost the cross you're bearing is. I know. I'm sorry. I got I got a pain. Um, got a little heartburn from the lemonade no i just got a little it's a sharp pain in my chest um you're not having a heart attack are you no i hope not this could be your last podcast am i smelling almonds what is it when you're when you're having a heart someone said it the other day if you smell licorice or almonds or burning i think it's for a stroke that might be it okay sorry not smelling that cat shit what's this (laughs) that's just the litter box downstairs (laughs) that's my joke all right so back to the story so i get there i see all these fucky vintage bikes and there's only like 15 entrants so it's not a huge amount of people 15 vintage or 15 total 15 total okay uh uh but that makes it manageable and I'm, uh, that was helpful because i was like okay at least it's not going to be a complete cluster once you're out there so we p-pick for for the uh it's a le mans start so you have to run across this track and so <laughs> i like i held the bike for the guy that started cole uh which is interesting and we picked like 13 so we were way at the back um and we went out for in practice we get a half hour practice. So I'd never been there before. And I get out on this bike. Cole goes out for a few laps. I go for a few laps. Derek goes out for a few laps. I'm, 
I, I've ridden a lot, so I kind of like, I get it. And now I know what a, um, I think it's maybe a six to eight inch front drum, single leading shoe front drum brake. That's gnarly. That was more scary than anything is that there's no brakes on this bike. The rear is, is just as big as the front and it, there's no brakes on it, but it's a light bike and it's at a go-kart track. So the first couple laps, I'm like, all right, this is manageable. Uh, the brakes are actually decent enough and I'll just, you know, be blipping throttle, even though it's a two stroke. It's an older two-stroke with a big, heavy crank, so there's a little bit of engine braking, a little bit. So it was not that bad, and the, the tires gripped remarkably well. I was okay with that. One thing I should note, the we couldn't get the front tire to seat the bead all the way. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a 21-inch front tire, and the, whatever they tried to do to get it to seat didn't work, so it was close. But the bead wasn't seated, and this means the 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 area of the tire that rubs against the wheel to create the air seal wasn't all the way as far as it should be, which actually creates a little bit of a dip in the tire, which means it's a little bit of a vibration. In this case, it wasn't that bad. When I first got on the bike, I was like, okay, that's remarkably good for not having completely seated. It was close, but it wasn't quite there. So I watched them go out. Cole goes out for an hour. Right, we we figured out during our practice session that it only it'll take um, uh, uh, you know the, that 50, and a half an hour of us all riding barely hit half the tank. So I was like, shoot, we might be able to go a full hour before swapping, which is kind of critical in one of these endurance races. The least amount of time you have to come in, right? The, the, better. the better. So he comes in at forty. We flag him in at forty five minutes because we had a, we had talked about it and we didn't want him to uh, uh, stop on on track with with no problem with gas, right? So he comes in. There's plenty of gas, and he just takes off and goes out for another fifteen minutes. Then Derek goes out, and he's out for I don't know fifteen or twenty minutes, and all of a sudden the bike starts getting really loud, really loud. So he comes in. We're like, oh, I figured the stinger would fall off because the stinger, I'm calling that the muffler on the back of a, a two-stroke, generally called a stinger. So the stinger fell off and it was held on with like pipe strap. <laughs> so I was kind of assuming that would be it. Well, when he pulls in, it's it's still on. And, you know, we're kind of in a mad rush and somebody says, look at the front of the pipe. And there's a I don't I'd like a three inch square, three to six inch square gaping hole on the inside of the pipe towards the frame where the pipe had been rubbing on the frame. Thin wall exhaust pipe. And even though this is a stock Honda exhaust, if you put it up against something, it's like a fuel tank that's not rubber mounted. Eventually it'll crack. It's just what happens. So this cracked and blew up in a hole. And I, I literally had a Mountain Dew in my hand. And you don't have much time. You look around, you're like, I'm at a I'm going to go-kart track in McMinnville, Oregon. We don't, I'm, I'm, I don't no, have. Your best hope is basically a crystal meth needle. <laughs> you know, like yes, just yes. welding little needles <laughs> right. to the side. Yes, exactly. So I get my Mountain Dew. I take my knife off. I get it. I open it up. I put the Mountain Dew can on. I safety wire it on. Somebody puts a pipe clamp on it and he goes out. And immediately I'm like, okay, that's not going to work. But we got out. We have to get out, right? right. But I know that's not going to work. I get that. But I had to do something, so they go out, and then I, I'm looking for other. I'm like, does anybody have any sheet metal, anything, whatever? And and uh, one of the Cretans, a guy named Scott, comes over with a coconut water can, which is steel, and it's ribbed, and it's heavy. I'm like, hmm. So I, I rip open that one, and it takes a bit. I get my knife, and I'm dulling the shit out of my knife, but I cut it open because I'm like, this this fucker's not gonna. It's not gonna last. I need to. We're gonna need to have something. So. Sure enough, after a couple laps, he comes in, it's blown out, and, and we've got black flag this time because the, we had come in on his own volition first because it was, uh, it was a, a noticeable decrease in power, right? The second time, it was just loud. So he comes in, 
and we do another mad rush. People are finding somebody found a pipe clamp, like a like a, a, a AC duct style twist clamp, like huge. Um, in their car. I think it was a guy named John Furpo, which was rad. So John and Betty going looking for this. These are all 15 people or people around the in the in the pits. Another guy comes up with some tools and I'm kind of on the point trying to work on an exhaust that's hot. Uh, and I get this, this can in, um, in place. And then there was some goo that we had that was like stop seal something. I don't know, whatever, some horrible methyl ethyl death <laughs> silicone shit. So we put that on there, put the, the can on, bend it and hack it into place three hose clamps later, he goes back out. The hose clamps fall down and it create it, and it goes loud again. So we had to then affect another repair of hose clamps and safety wire. And that was within a couple laps. It lasted from about an hour and a half in until six hours, that bike. And that is unreal. Like uh, such a, I mean, this was a horrible rig, right? As, as bad as it gets, but it worked. And it was bizarre that it, man, so we were down, I don't know, 15, 15 to 20 laps, something like that at that point. Um, and I get to go out and I'm at the stage where I'm in the center, right? I'm a, I'm a, I was running the anchor, but there's also a, 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 the, one of the cool things about this race is that they switch directions mid-race. Oh, cool. So you get to go And when they place. do that, you're not allowed to pit. You just come in to the pits turn around and they and it sounds like it's a clusterfuck or it would be but it actually ended up being really good so they did that and i went out for i don't know half an hour going the first way and then i went out for the first little bit that way and i learned tracks really fast so i put myself up in the front where all the ninja 300s were and um i stuck with them for quite a bit in the beginning because i just learned i'm very fortunate that i learned tracks fast and I, i i got it immediately i was stoked but I was tired, and and the going the other direction was significantly harder on which, me. Which way we are started you going now? clockwise and then went counterclockwise. So the okay. first yeah. the first direction was hellish in that I don't know what it was about gearing, about uh, front end slides. Oh, oh, and I crashed twice. Sorry, <laughs> crashed twice on the front end. One time I crashed with my hands on the bars, didn't ever let go, and was able to pick it up without ever letting go of the bike and just kept going. But you, because it's an endurance race, they forced you to come back in the pits. Mm. If I wouldn't have had to come back in the pits, it would literally would have been five to 10 seconds lost. It was amazing because the bike's so light and simple and right. right and it's a go-kart track. So anyway, crashed twice. Derek crashed once. Colden crashed once. Uh, we, when we flipped around, it, it was great. The bike t- came into tune on the other way, but then towards the end of the race that the, the, uh, oscillations coming from the front end reared their ugly head. And I made the mistake of looking down at the front wheel at one point in time. Um, and it was so bad. It wasn't just that the seat hadn't beaded it. The wheel was radially was and actually true? all over the place. I mean, and it was hopping like a mother, the front fender was cause I was going a lot faster the other way and in the mid corner, it would just be start letting go. Well, the other way is quicker. Yeah, sure. It was a, it was great though. So I, I did the anchor position for that. We ended up four laps from the lead team, which was the saying for guys, I think, uh, uh, almost, we made up a bunch of time. It was really cool. We were able to get closer, but we didn't, we didn't, uh, uh, we, we didn't win, but we got second. We were stoked, and now that pipe is hanging at their clubhouse with the with the uh, coconut water can uh, <laughs> still strapped to it. That's a very Portland Portland fix. It coconut was. Water. It was. It was good, right? It was. It was sustainable. So yeah, there. That's my story, and that was rad. And I would love to do it again. And and doing it with a ancient bike instead of the newer Ninja Three Hundred is 
that that's kind of what made it cool. It was like, I did not expect that bike to last six hours. Yeah. So it didn't, uh, fair enough, that something rattled off of it, but the rest of it, let, and, and with a big hole in its exhaust, is still, I mean, that coconut water can didn't fix it. It was just a, a patch, and there's still a hole there. And usually when that happens to a, t- to a two-stroke, um, it'll, it'll burn a hole in the piston, it'll lean it out, it'll blow it up, but... Honda, man, they make some shit. It's amazing, right? <laughs> so I went looking for a, a 1978, 79, or 80 CR250. I've been scouring. It turns out they're not easy to find because everybody that vintage races likes them because probably because they're brick shit houses, right? Amazing bike. So good times. We're gonna have to do that next year. Oh, uh, totally. Like I thought of you the whole team. time. I was like, God, oh, this would be this would be right up your alley. You'd be stoked to do it. We're just gonna have to find a funky bike with a disc brake. I think yeah. a disc brake. That was the biggest amount of lap time so, that I was missing. So you think more fun vintage class than new class? Yeah, it just would be. It would make more sense to do new, but you know, I don't know. It'll be easier to find a bike and stuff. Sure. I thought about my one twenty five two stroke, but I, I six hours at an even at a go kart track. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that would be very good. Actually, 125s are not very good for small tracks. Everybody's like, oh, it's a 125. It'd be fine. Remember, the 125 is made to race at MotoGP tracks. It's made for high speed, yeah. high corner but speed. But that is a slow track. And it's really it's slow. Very slow. So smaller wheelbase, smaller stuff that's not that's made I, to wrap around is actually quite good. I almost think like a... Like a 250 supermoto. That's exactly what I would have done. I would have... if the, All these guys were out there on 300 Ninjas. I'm like, I, I'm pretty sure that... You could rail on that track with a 250 Supermoto. Period. And I've stop. chased a couple, a, ch- a couple of those ninjas around there, and it's there's kind of a back straight and there's a front straight, and outside of that, it is just super, 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 super tight. Sure. And you just you want to be Supermoto pushing the bike down rather than hanging off. Possibly. And I, I ended up having to get. I had to switch up my style every corner, depending on the corner, because the That's, front end was yeah. going. In certain corners, but it would it was threshold braking in others, and it was fine. So I, the threshold braking, I could I could push it down like a dirt bike yeah. and get more lap time out of it. But the uh, some of the other ones I couldn't, uh, and it was just bizarre. That's all. I'm probably half half of those corners I'm getting a knee down, and the other half I'm sticking my foot out. Yeah, it's a but it's a cool track. It's a cool it's a cool track to have you. I, I assume they didn't have you going over the jump. No, never no, no jumps. No jumps. Yeah. Okay, that's but probably, that would that's be probably smart. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a cool little track to have nearby in, in Portland, and it, it sounds like a lot of fun. Like we definitely need to keep that on the radar for for next year. Sure, because that's yeah. I was I was pretty jealous. Not gonna lie. Was I somewhere? I was doing something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It was a whirlwind for me because it was like I didn't know I was going to be racing it until like three or four days beforehand. When they're like, "Hey, yeah, you want to do that?" I'm like, okay, where do I go? Uh, can you come over tonight? <laughs> right. And then help, help work on, you know, changing fork oil in a CR250 that probably hadn't been changed in 15 to, to 20 years. It was, it was uh, gross, but it was fun. Cool, man. Awesome. All right, Quentin. So we actually got a reader question to, to play on the show. Someone sent us a audio file. In fact, it was Brian Burnett. Do tell do ask let's we'll play it for you hey jensen hey quentin just a quick question uh what was your guys's first motorcycle and if you sold it do you regret it and the other question i have is if you could only have one bike to do everything what would it be and uh if if such a bike exists uh keep up the great work love the podcast and uh kickstands up or chest hairs down i can't remember Look what you've done. Yes. Look what you've done. 
Thanks, Brian. <laughs> you dick. <laughs> um, I think I can answer. I, so I have only sold two bikes that I've ever owned, and I regret I regret both of them just because I I'm a, I'm a hoarder like that. Yep. I definitely I, I would say I don't miss my CBR that much. Only from the nostalgia of it was my first bike, and I kind of wish I still had my first bike. But I definitely regret selling my TL. I can see that. It just—it's just a weird bike. You don't yeah. see a lot of them. Sounds good. They did sound good. It was such a like running the TL forum and being part of that community for such a long time was a big part of my life. Definitely formative years for me as a motorcyclist. Like, I, there's a lot of like emotion there. Where I'm like, hmm, yeah, no. If I saw a clean one show up on the market for the prices, right? Maybe, maybe. If it, especially if it looked if it was a '98, had the same paint scheme. I'd be the like, yellow. No, I know uh, blue the and blue white. white. Yeah. yeah, I could I could get into it. So, um, but having only sold two motorcycles, that's uh, well, technically three, but it doesn't really count. I bought all one right. for parts and just flipped it. What about uh, the other question for you? Single bike to do it all. That's tough. That's tough. I don't know. It would be. I don't know. Well, your hyper motard. Hyper motard is kind of like as as close as you can get. You could do a track date. You could go long distance touring. You could commute, and then you could put knobbies on it and go ride a little bit off road. Does a lot. Right. It'd have to be something like that, or like a like a multistrada, or like an adventure bike. An adventure bike would probably be that like do it all kind of thing. And that is kind of like how BMW sells or pitches the GS to people. We actually, I think, we got a pocket knife as like our our gift for the GS launch because it's the pocket knife, the Swiss Army knife of of the BMW lineup. And my XR650 would probably be the closest analog to that because if I had like a Motard setup, then I could do track stuff. Like that Mac track would be rad on my XR if it had 17s. Yeah, you put some 17s It on would that. be neat. Um, and then it goes off-road and I can go quite far off-road. Like a lot of people look at it as a big pig, but... It it goes right. It just takes some. It takes a, a certain type of riding style. So you can do that. Uh, Multistrada. I owned one, and I, I did all of the above, all of it. Uh, you spoon these new Continentals on pretty much any bike, right? I can do it with a Panigale, right? <laughs> you can do it with a lot. But I'm saying realistically, like if it was end times and all you could do was pick one bike, the XR would definitely be it. I mean, I'm not going to pick an 848. That's your zombie apocalypse bike. Yeah, for sure. It would do it. It would It would be, and because it's air-cooled. So another thing I like about it is it's simple. Air-cooled uh, could run on a lot of different gas and would just be easy to deal with. Mm-hmm. I definitely have a pension for a lot of Street Fighter naked bikes. Like, you know, I could definitely see myself if I had to whittle the garage all the way down, keep my Street Fighter or, or get like a Super Duke. Or even I was just thinking the other day about the FC10. I was like, you know, that would that would do a lot for me in a lot of different ways. Um, especially when I was thinking about like the FZ1 and like what FZ1 owners are doing with their bikes between sport touring and like you can, yeah. you'll see one at a track day every now and then. Sure. And some of those guys just put down but there is no like such no thing other. i'll say uh, if he's saying that in his thing there's no such thing because that's why i have seven bikes uh, you, you gotta have well, i like to have so, a, a bunch of bikes that span between uh, genres so yeah. my st2 i can throw a certain type of tire on that and go do dirt roads and i have done and it's fun and yet it also will do commuting and long distance and i've done a track day with it so that's a ducati st2 and 848 that's a, that's a pretty much a one trick pony it goes to racetracks right well so, I, I would i would agree and disagree at the same time because like i think we proved with the terra corsa like 
motorcycles really aren't that different like from one genre to another they're really not it's a motor and two wheels and tires make up a lot of it and you can go off road on a bike with no suspension if you want it's just how much teeth chattering do you want to do you know <laughs> how much pain do you want to yeah, be how much pain do you want to do yeah but you know like when you think back like to early 1900s like what motorcycles look like then like you know they all look the same whether it was going off road or going down the the, the highway or, and they would travel cross country with what they had yeah. and it would work with a, a total loss oiling system and tires that weren't necessarily made for that type of stuff and they'd cross country when the country didn't have a a good road system so yeah true you can do it yeah is it easier to like go off road like on your xr or on like a, a crf 250 than it is on a big like adventure bike or or even like a larger dirt bike like absolutely but you can still do it. It's like we were talking before the show, you were you were talking about like an adventure bike ride you want to do with the the dealership. And it's like, well, you know, like like we were saying, like anyone can go do those those routes and do those roads. It's just like how quickly do you want to do it? Yeah, sure. You know, do you want to like walk your bike through every little sand pit or you know, walk it through this little area or just kind of paddle foot it? Or are you gonna be like ripping and tearing, going over yeah. whoops and and what have you? Yeah. And it's just different structure different folks sure and as far as a, a the my first bike was a honda x sorry nx 125 and it was my dad's bike um and i looked for him on craigslist every once in a while i would i mean it's not a good bike not as slow as christmas um not revy but again a honda sing uh, uh air-cooled single the nx 250s were water-cooled Great bike. Uh, I, I, there's no regret because I didn't ever really own it. I can't, I think, I don't even know what happened to it or how it got sold. I think my dad eventually was like, I don't want this anymore. So there's not really a whole lot of regret there. Uh, but that wasn't like, my, my first real bike was my Honda VTR 250 that I um, I spent a lot of time on. And again, I don't. Re- there's no regret selling that because I crashed into the ground multiple times and it was a beat to shit thing by the end, as was my F2. You talked about your CBR, which was my next bike. I would love to have all of those bikes, of course, if I could. I would have all of them sitting in my garage yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the F2 specifically, as I've been around a few of them recently, a couple people have them or are around. Um, that's a really good bike, extremely competent machine. And I've thought about, well, that would be fun to go race uh, older superbike class with like there's a you know a dinosaur class and yeah. it would be fun to be on because I know the bike fifty thousand miles worth and uh, that's a lot <laughs> right on a motorcycle right. but the VTR because it's a ninety degree V twin instead of the awful Kawasaki parallel twin was just so bitchin' and mine was fuchsia and teal and white so it was just fabulous <laughs> right so so let me flip this question around on you the other way is there any bike that you've sold that you're like I am so glad I got rid of that money pit. Uh, no, I much like you. I've kept uh, like the, the, so the the VTR. I, I seriously, I crashed into the ground. It was a beat piece of shit, and I left it in College Station when I left to go to MMI, and I had my F two, and my dad literally traded that in on a Del Sol that I eventually ended up driving. So that I'd rather have the Del Sol than that bike at that stage. Um, the F two got stolen from the Long Beach Convention Center parking lot and recovered in East LA. Um, and it was, it was never the same. And I never built it back up after that. Cause I, by that time I had, well, a couple months later I bought my, um, ST2, which I still have. So I've had a ST2 for 15 years. I don't ride it that much anymore, but I will, right. I'll get it back going eventually. It's absolute. So i still have that bike. As far as bikes that I absolutely, the one bike that I've sold 
I haven't sold too many. So um, uh, 675 Triumph, eh, don't regret it. That, that turned into an 848. It's way better. Um, the Street Fighter 1098, for sure. I keep looking. There's one in the shop now, and there's there's a couple there. Like, I want that back. I want that back. I want a pipe on it. I want it to be white. I want it to be just like I had. That was one of the you best. Want a, you want a white Street Fighter? Yep. I, I bet I could find one for yeah, you. I bet you could. Is it street registered? No, you got to pay the registration, oh, but it's okay. got a sweet leopard print. Oh, the leopard on print, it. for yeah, sure. A little high, little highlight. Fabulous. <laughs> so, yeah, the uh, the that for sure. At this stage, I'm going to own another one of those someday. It's not like critical. Because you know, I have an 848. I'm happy with, um, and I would I would stick with that. But now I'm just trying to figure out what the next flavor is, and I think it might be an older Multistrada, an air cooled Multistrada. Again, I keep going back to simple, air cooled, simple. I like that. It's something about that appeals to me. And older Ducatis are are good. So two valve Ducatis specifically are that the more I ride them, the more I like them. And I think I we might have talked about it on the show. I got to ride my friend's 900 SS at a track yeah, day. And I think show. that was on the last show and that, that for sure just cemented it. Like I have to figure this out to where I can build a couple of those different permutations of that. I could ride that through the rest of my life. Like at this stage as somebody that's about to turn 40 next year, 40, 50, 60. Yeah. I could have some new fancy crap, you know, awesome bike, but then have a couple of other older Ducatis air cooled two valves. I'd be stoked. What grocery getter? whatever right it could be a track day bike it could be something you know fairly unique could be a a cafe racer ish thing right even though that's not my jam so yeah 1098 street fighter regret that um not not heavily it's not like oh no i let it go because there's plenty of them out there but it's just for sure i wish i'd been able to keep it you don't see too many of them no they're not there's a there's a lot of them right in this general vicinity yeah sure well yeah. So I crashed an 848 Street Fighter and it's still in my garage. I did that like four years ago. Yeah, I remember that crash. Yeah. Um, so that bike's still in my garage. It's very, very frustrating because I just, I, I, I don't know. It's a very strange thing. It's like writer's block. It's like mechanics block with that bike. So I need to sort that out. But I, I'll say this. If I could build that engine, just take it apart, build it as a thousand and then have that bike, which has a way better chassis than the 1098, that would be the sweet numbers bitchin' bike. So that's, see, that's why I find it's interesting that you wanted a 1098, because I would look at the 848 Street Fighter as it's being better. the better bike. It's a better bike, for sure, but absolute power corrupts absolutely, and that's what the 1098 <laughs> has. I don't necessarily even want that, though. I just want a little bit more punch up top, because the 848 is it's detuned compared to yeah, a normal 848. Yeah. It's just not as good, period. I'll give it to you. I'll give you that one, for sure. Right, so if you could build one out with better heads and better and, and a little bit more CC, just to get the punch bigger, back. Bigger airbox would probably help a lot. So I, that same size airbox on A48 is 1090. It's all the well, same. Well, I'm saying shit. the 1098s, it's pretty choked up. Yeah, but that's not Compared that's not to keeping the you super from bike. Yeah, it's not yeah. keeping you from hauling ass. No, I guarantee it's not. Well, keeping yeah, you no, it's not keeping you from hauling ass because that bike's just ridiculous. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, and I'm not talking about power. That power in with an airbox would come at top end generally. Uh, I'm right. talking that squirt, that brap, that off the bottom power that it, it only a 1098 or 1198 has. So someday, but I know I have to like 20 projects and I still have my Honda RS125 that I raced from 2000 to 2002. It, it's just a basket case and it's hanging, literally the chassis is hanging from my, from my uh, garage ceiling. So, you know, I keep, I keep a lot of shit. I keep it. I, Your I've garage that, is like a squirrel's nest. It is horrible. And yeah. I, I've kept the Christina. I've had that since 2009. Most people would go through five dirt bikes in that time. But I, if it, ain't, if it works, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So Right. Well, that's kind of how I am with my Husky, where it's just like, it, as long as it keeps working. 
I will be happy to sell that bike when I finally yeah sure sell it. That'll be like hey, we're going out for drinks. Yeah, I hope hopefully I'll goad you into selling that to get something better soon, like something like more racy or dirt bikey. Well, I think it'll happen. I'll probably end up getting something like that FS four fifty, sure. and then this will be like the the be a jerk around town and or have an extra bike for a buddy that wants to come out to the Which max track with me. Definitely a, a legitimate. You know it's definitely saying. a legitimate thing. But I wouldn't want to be responsible for that thing blowing up. No. Does it have a kickstand? Yeah. It's a street bike. Kickstands up. Ah, jeez. I just walked right into that, didn't I? Yeah, totally. It's time to stop. It is. Good talk. See you out there. Later. Which is called it's called like keyword loading. Like we're just gonna it's gonna be like two enthusiasts, two enthusiast podcast, dash motorcycle podcast for motorcyclists on motorcycles, motorcycling around the motorcycling world. Kickstands up. Kickstands up. Fuck. We're probably gonna have to do kickstands up because I'm, I'm sure people just typing in, is there a kickstands up podcast? That's what I want to listen to. I just wanna hear I just wanna hear like three hours of kickstands clicking up. That'd be, that would be gross, right?